This episode of Blue Shirts Breakaway is brought to you by you, the fans. That's right. Go to patreon.com slash blue shirts breakaway today to get access to our BSBOT episodes, where I try and name the presidents, our Discord ad-free episodes, and much, much more. Today's episode, we have Scouting the Refs on, uh, I'll be honest, one of our better interviews. Learn a lot about the refereeing world, and um, we ask all the questions you want to know about refs, and it's honestly very educational. We thank him a lot. And then uh, we talk about the New York Rangers, the Vancouver game, the Montreal game. Brandon Othman is here. Uh, a lot to dissect in what is a, the, maybe the first turmoil of the entire season. So let's get to it. Here's Mark Messier. Hi, everybody. It's Mark Messier, and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Welcome to another week of the Wishes Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Meter. I'm here with my co-host, Greg Kaplan. Greg, what is going on, my man? Um, you know, not a lot. Should we do an lot. episode of, like, the good and the bad? <laughs> no. Because I think that's where this is going. The, I, how many, the Rangers have lost 11 times, 12 times in regulation now this year. Have all 12 times come on Mondays? <laughs> yes. It does feel like it is mostly when we record this podcast. Uh, but there are a lot of times we come on this show and, and say there's not that much to complain about. I do think there are things to address, um, namely some some defensive structure breakdown over the last couple games. I think there's been times versus Carolina where, look, I, I think they've they've brought they've been broken down defensively. I think Vancouver tonight was unbelievable. Um, this is also one of those games where I just want to hand it to the other team. I, I I think when you look at the Carolina Hurricanes game versus the Rangers, I think the Rangers weren't prepared. They weren't ready. Uh, and they were just, frankly, getting back off their break. Tonight, I thought they could have won this game versus the Vancouver Canucks. I thought there was plenty of opportunities for them to score. I think if they score on that power play to make it 5-4, which they had a chance, they could have gotten back into it. Uh, but the Vancouver, Jesus Christ, dude, they were, the forecheck was unbelievable all night. They were all over the Rangers in their own zone. And every single this, uh, goal they scored was like a LeBron dunk from Dwayne Wade. It was unbelievable. And I know Igor Shostorkin is going to take shit for this game, uh, especially after he had a little bit of a rough start versus Montreal. Oh, no, sorry, that was quick. Um, but he's he had a little bit of a rough start before that in the last game, the previous game before the Montreal game. And that's fine. But a couple of these goals, like, you can't expect Igor Shostorkin to make that save on Elias Pettersson. Like, a guy, a guy rolls out and puts his belly on the ice, and Elias Pettersson goes around him and then goes around a spread-out Igor Shostorkin. And then the other goal where it goes through his five hole, like, dude, that's a freak goal. That is unbelievable. And the other ones were two cross ice, beautiful one timers. So yeah, Igor wasn't like his best self. I, I get it. He's not the end all be all. He usually was, but I, and I don't want to come on here and be Igor defender, but I'm doing that. The team defense and the, and the way they've been playing on transition, it's just something to be addressed. It's just something to monitor because they're, they're not hanging with these teams that similar to how the devils were in the playoffs last year are using their speed to abuse them. Part of that could be they don't have Capococco and Heedle. Part of that could be like they're just missing key pieces. Maybe like a Tyro Pitlick. Is Tyro Pitlick a key piece? I don't know. But it certainly seems like the defense has really fallen apart. And it, 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 is, it, oh, is it wrong for me? I guess this is the question, Greg. Is it wrong for me to want to address all these things? I don't think you're addressing the elephant in the room, though. So let me, let me try to help you here. I, I think... Let's navigate. I would like to... <sighs> I don't want to say we're not going to complain. So allow me. I want to complain about complaining. That that's what I 
end up with after a night like tonight because I popped into our game thread chat Why? in the dis- I, I'm psychotic. I don't know what else you want from me. <laughs> Why would you do that? I listen. They pay us too, Ryan, and we have to show them some love, even if oh. sometimes that love is the back of my hand. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't know but oh, uh, God. I, I, it's not just a game thread okay that this is a common thing that i'm hearing and seeing on the interwebs life would be really convenient ryan if a night like tonight was the fault of the usual scapegoats and these days that's barclay goodrow nick bonino and then people like to just say the bottom six and they put a nice big umbrella over all of them. But here's the problem. Okay. If, if we're going to say that tonight stunk for the New York Rangers and for a large part of the game, it did stunk. Good teams look good, even when they look bad. And the Rangers were able to make it a competitive ball game after falling behind by three goals. Great. I'm not here for half measures. I'm not here for moral victories. You want to say the Rangers stunk tonight? Here are your Number one, two, three, big stinkers, okay? Keandre Miller got undressed twice. Twice. Two goals. Big, big including the Pedersen goal. But do you want me to come on this podcast and say Keandre Miller's a bad hockey player? Because he's no. not. And nope. I think he just had a bad night. And I'm not going to worry about it. Ryan Lindgren has been rough, I think, for the better part of the last month, frankly. I would say about a month, five, six weeks, something like that. But Ryan, do you want me to come on this podcast and tell you that Ryan Lindgren is no longer a good hockey player? No. I'm going to chalk it up as him going through a lull right now and him trying to find his game through it. And I'm confident that when push comes to shove, he's going to be Ryan Lindgren at the end of the day. Mikas Benajad is once again cold. Five-game stretch here without a goal. Uh, he deferred a lot more than I wanted him to tonight. He seems to be a little gun-shy. I don't know if... It's because Blake Wheeler is also struggling and he's trying to get his teammate going. But to put it frankly, Mika Zibanejad has not played well during this most recent period. Do you want me to come on this podcast and be stark raving mad about Mika Zibanejad and say he's not a good hockey player, he's not going to be able to turn it around, and the New York Rangers are screwed? No, you don't want me to do that. And then Igor Shosturkin should have made more saves than he did tonight. It's been a down year for Igor Shosturkin by his standards. But do you want me to come on this podcast and say that he's a bad <laughs> goaltender? No, I don't want you to do any of those things. So the New York Rangers lost a hockey game tonight, not because of Barclay Goodrow, not because of Nick Benino, not because Brennan Hoffman didn't get minutes, not because Jimmy VC didn't get minutes, not because Will Cooley didn't get minutes, not because Adam Fox didn't score on the power play. New York Rangers lost tonight because four of their best players didn't play that well. But I'm the reason why I'm confident the New York Rangers are going to be fine is I have a lot of confidence in those four guys. And they are allowed to have a bad night. It stinks when it all happens simultaneously. The New York Rangers are built in a way where they can withstand a bad Mika night, a bad Keandre night, a bad Lindgren night. Schneider had a couple bad plays tonight as well, a bad Igor night. This team is so deep that they can get away with one or two of those guys having a bad night. All five of them? Even great teams aren't going to win those games. And the New York Rangers, damned if they tried, Ryan. But the reason I'm not throwing furniture, freaking out, upset, is because I'm confident those guys are good, and they're going to be fine. I to the the I, if you're gonna complain, if you're gonna be doomsday, if you're gonna whine, you have to do it accurately. 
tonight you can't put on the bottom six. You can't put it on Nick Benino or Barkley Goodrow. Your scapegoats were fine. Barkley Goodrow looked great in that third period when the Rangers were making a push towards the end. You can't blame his contract for why the Rangers lost 6-3 to three to the Vancouver Canucks. Look yourself in the mirror, okay? If you want to be a little piss baby whiny bitch, yell at DeAndre Miller. Whoa. No, no, no. I'm I'm tired of it. Like, what are we doing? This is the second time this year that the Rangers have lost back-to-back games. Second time. It's January 8th. If you're going to whine, whine about the guys that cost the Rangers the game tonight. And if you think that's ridiculous to be this angry at Keandre Miller, congratulations. I agree with you. I I don't think it's I think being that angry at Keandre Miller that angry at Keandre Miller is ridiculous. He did get absolutely undressed, dis- dis- disposed of. I think is even a better way to put it. Twice tonight, and look, this Vancouver team is no joke. I, good. I think they they are really good. Yeah, they were they were probably the most impressive team I saw at the Garden this year. That that at least came to our home ice and just played at a different level. I, I was really really impressed by them. And that's not to say that the Rangers, I wasn't impressed by the Rangers because despite being booed off the ice in periods one, two, and three of this game, I really thought they could have won. I really thought there was plenty of chances for them to win. And a big part of that is that second line is so goddamn dangerous. It might as well be the first line at this point, but Panarin, Trocek, and, and, and Lafreniere. And Lafreniere has just been a monster these past couple games. Trocek is uh, just unbelievable. And Artemi Panarin leads the league in points. I already did until Elias Patterson's night. I think he still does. But well, you, know, you know what's uh, interesting, th- Ryan? And not, not to cut off your rant, but I yeah, think please, this goes hand-in-hand with your rant. Um, I do wonder if that Panarin, Trocek, Lafreniere line has been a victim of their own success a little bit. Because, let's be honest, Blake Wheeler ain't happening. I, it, we, I've seen enough. That little spurt he had for three weeks there was nice, but he's kind of reverting back to Blake Wheeler. And on one hand, I love that Peter Laviolette doesn't overreact, isn't freaking out, and is riding the super hot hand that is Panarin, Trocek, and Lafreniere. And you see in nights like tonight, in order to energize the New York Rangers, he said in the second period, fuck it, I am getting Panarin and Lafreniere on the ice as much as humanly possible. I don't care who it's with. But has that line been too good where he doesn't want to put Lafreniere with Zibanejad and Kreider? And is that at the expense of Zibanejad and Kreider? Because you're right. Uh, Laugh, Panarin, Trocek, they're getting the most minutes. They're playing the best. They're line number one. But again, the problem with the Rangers isn't the bottom six. The problem is that first line, quote unquote, Ryan, it's almost like there's a capococco-sized hole in it. There is, and uh, look, we can play these games, and I think I will. I would love for Panarin to play with Kako when he got back. I think it would be very, very good for Capococco. I'm not sure how much Panarin would like it. We've heard the rumors over the years, whatever they are. But Lafreniere moving up to that Mika Zibanejad and Kreider line to spur them at 5v5 would be a solid move. It would It would be phenomenal. But the way Lafreniere is playing with Artemi Panarin right now is it's the best hockey he's ever played in his career. He's, he's, he's lights out right now. Two assists tonight, drew a penalty. I had almost had multiple goals over the past couple of games. I know he didn't finish. I get that, but he's been creating at such a high level. It's ridiculous. And to 
that that top line, like to your point with Blake Wheeler, he can't stay there. And Capococco was apparently about to come out of uh, a non-contact jersey over the next couple of days. So I'd expect him back by mid-January at this point. And Kako has to get slated back to that first line. Whatever you think about Kako this year and his measly point total, he enables that first line to do a lot more. Uh, and I, I got to meet with our good friend. I do think one day, maybe this is, we'll talk about this off air, but I met with Adam, et cetera. He should come on one day and just bitch at us. He really <laughs> wants to argue with us. Uh, really smart guy. And he talked a lot about why Kako can't play with that first line. I disagree with him in some ways. He'll yell at me later. Um, but it's about, it's about the transition game and the way Kreider and Mika play. That being said, the stats and the way, I, the way that line just moved differently, just per- performed at 5v5 differently. I know they weren't scoring. They were not being scored against at all. And I, I, I think Kako has that game in him to, to change that top line. So you keep the Trocek, Panarin, French Toast, whatever bullshit you want to call it, together. And then put Kako back up there. And then it's kind of like, hey, Will, you're back on the third. We're sheltering you in minutes. You're, you're playing with question mark center. I guess it's still Benino, who has been uh, not so great as of recent. And we just like try and make Will Cooley drag that line left, right, and sideways. And we haven't even talked about Brandon Othman yet. We probably don't need to, but congratulations to him on making his career debut. Well, we should probably talk about him because we said we would talk about him at the end of the episode. Yeah. Spoiler alert. We know how the episode ends. Already, yes. yeah, it, it's the things that plague the New York Rangers. It's more consistency than anything else, and I'm confident that the guys that are here are going to find their consistency as the season goes along. I'm also confident this coaching staff isn't going to stand for it if they keep playing like this. So, the the big difference from this year to last year is simply when the Rangers got inconsistent, the coaches told them, "Hey, stop." <laughs> hey play harder out there yeah and that's kind of all they did i i, I guys this, this team hasn't reverted back to anything this happens every season there unless you're the boston bruins and you're psychotic the bruins are going through it right now by the way every they team are. in the nhl is going to go through it this year like the the reason why it was so great for the rangers to get so hot at the early part of the season is that when they go through it, Ryan, it's not really impacting their playoff standing. That's the beauty of getting hot because you're going to go through a stretch where it's a lull. And this isn't even that big of a lull. They are six, four and one in their last 11 games. They've gotten points in seven of 11 games. I've I've had a lot of people, including a good friend Dan, like just pick arbitrary numbers, and he even said like I know you can't just pick arbitrary numbers. Yeah, um, you can't do it because here's the thing: I could pick I don't know how about September 30th. Well, I'm just going to do the last yeah the start of the season. Um, uh, I'm going to do the last ten for the Metro Division right now, just real quick, just just to, just for reference. Rangers five four and one last ten. Hurricanes six one and three. Okay, Islanders four four and two. Flyers three four and three. I, Devils five four and one. Okay, what am I missing here? Everybody's going through it. Everyone is doing this. Yeah, the Hurricanes are losing in overtime like the Islanders did earlier, and I'm supposed to be upset about it because also one of those six wins came at the Rangers' expense. Also, we do have to – Cutter Gauthier, all-time Greg favorite. Okay, so uh, I met a friend at a bar a long time ago when I got here to Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Good dude, Brian. I texted him right away uh, when the Gauthier thing happened. I was like, holy shit, you guys are screwed. <laughs> and 
He texted back immediately. He goes, this is Kevin Hayes' fault. Book it. I Here's the thing. Great. I love that guy. He's wonderful. I hope it is Kevin Hayes' fault. Ranger great. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I always, I always, <laughs> this is how I knew at a young age that I would grow up to be this mess of a man that I am today. I always held such a warm, loving spot in my heart for J.D. Drew, who played exactly zero games as a New York Met. But because when I was, I think, 9 or 10, and he was the number one overall pick, he told Philadelphia to go fuck themselves, played independent baseball for a year, and then signed with the Cardinals. And at that young age, I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. And Cutter Cutter Gauthier wouldn't even meet with them, and they flew out to Europe to meet with them for the juniors. Ryan, that's my favorite part of it. How did, like... (laughs) It's not even that he had a meeting and said, I don't like Philadelphia. It's that his bosses essentially flew out to Europe and he turned off his phone. <laughs> yeah, he, he's like, he said, fuck it, you. He didn't even respond. He didn't even say, who dis? He just. Right. No, Ryan, all, all time, all time move. I What's love him. What's crazy is they, it's not like they didn't know where he was. He was on the ice winning a gold fucking medal. They could have uh, walked into the locker oh, no, room. No, sorry. He, he's Canadian. My apologies. Never mind. <laughs> he, he's go, just. He's American in my book. He's good. I like. I, he, <laughs> he, can, he can have my passport for all I care. Oh, he's uh, Swedish. That's even worse. I just said he was Canadian. Cutter Goche is Swedish? Swedish born. Isn't that crazy? Huh. Okay. Whatever you say. I'll believe you for it. I don't, the, again, American. I, I will co-sign him. He's my son. He's a Swedish born American. There you go. <laughs> okay. That's so weird. Anyway, so he did win the gold medal. I'm a fucking idiot. You're I didn't watch that game. Man. There we go. USA, I, didn't watch, USA. I didn't watch. Didn't watch any of it. I watched the highlights. There you go. I watched I the, uh, the the gay pro goals. They were they, they didn't nice. even watch those. You know why I didn't watch those? I tend not to watch all star games. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, you've been pretty <laughs> on the nose about this. So the New York Rangers. Mm, anyway, lost they lost to three. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> uh, look the Montreal game. Just to go back to that real quick. They went down three three zero really quickly. Fought back into that game brilliantly. Got goalied got goalied out of their goddamn mind. And the game was entertaining as hell. I had a blast with that game. It was a perfect Saturday night game. If they would have won it, it would have been a perfect Saturday night for me. But honestly, it was pretty close. Just back and forth the entire time. Great saves, both sides. Quick was awesome. Uh, And uh, no complaints. It was just like awesome to get an overtime point. Great. Uh, And then, of course, they follow up with tonight, which is why everyone's freaking out. Yeah, I... I, I want to be angrier. I do. Because I'm not going to sit here and tell you that watching that Ranger game tonight wasn't frustrating. I'm not telling you that it feels good to lose. I just, I guess I just have a little bit more perspective. I I don't think I'm a different sports fan than a lot of our listeners. No, but... you are a real psychopath. And people, I think, sometimes give us too much credit for being too optimistic. I'm not even being optimistic. I just, I think the problems the Rangers had tonight were star players playing like duds. And I'm just of the opinion that, you know what I equate tonight's game to? To me, this was like watching a July Yankees game where the offense has been a problem for the whole season, except for Aaron Judge. But in this one Yankee game, it's Aaron Judge who goes 0 for 4 with 4Ks. And it's like, you know, if, if Oswaldo Cabrera was just not our left fielder, tonight would have been different. And it's like, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Aaron Judge sucked. Like, you're going to have those games. 
I'm sorry. I think it's also important to note that the Rangers will not be making any moves until like the day of the deadline or three or four days beforehand. Because Heedle has to, we have to figure it out. Whatever's whatever's going on with, here's the thing. The New York Rangers, the odds of them trading for someone who will make a bigger impact on their team than Philip of healthy Philip Heedle is slim. And that's even with Heedle not in the lineup. If Hedl's not in the lineup, they're still not getting a Gensel. They're probably not getting a Lindholm. What they're probably going to try to do is go out there and get the best third-line center they could probably get their hands on, an Evan Rodriguez type, something like that. some sort of right-winger. Some sort of it. I don't, but again, I don't even know if they're going to get that because I think they're married to Blake Wheeler. I think, I'm not supporting this. The reason why we need Kako back so bad is so that Wheeler has a lesser role on this team. But I think you look at, unless Wheeler agrees to step aside, which is unlikely. No chance. He, I think Drury, the front office, the coaching staff, they see Blake Wheeler as he did us a favor. He took no money to come here. We made promises to him that we don't want to break for the sake of potentially negotiating with agents in the future. You've made your bed with Blake Wheeler. What you want to do is have a guy like Kako back in this lineup that could potentially lessen the role of Blake Wheeler on your team, and that would be great. But I don't see a scenario where you're going to be able, unless Wheeler is like, you know what, guys, I am cooked. You're not getting him out of your lineup. So you're just going to have to make do with what you got. And to me, that means I need Heedle healthy. Because I think if you have a healthy Heedle and all of a sudden you're once again rolling down the middle, Zabanajad, Trocek, and Heedle, if Wheeler's with Heedle, one thing Heedle can do is fucking skate his ass off. My man is fast. And it'll make up for the cinder blocks that are attached to the bottom of Blake Wheeler's skates right now. You would hope. Well, that's because like a lot of the bottom six, and again, I'm not blaming it on them tonight, but they are much slower than most teams. Benino can't skate the way he used to. Wheeler can't. Someone brought this. I I apologize for not having the exact name in our insiders chat who brought this up, but it's a really good point. Not only is Benino getting overexposed by playing with Brodzinski and Cooley and having to rely on that line for a little bit more offense that just isn't being generated. I don't think Nick Benino was brought in here to be an 82-game player. I think ideally you would get 60, 65. And I think the Rangers wanted to have a little bit more of a rotation in their bottom six. That's interesting. I didn't think about this. Yeah, I just, I don't, I don't think Nick Benino, and again, maybe there are nights Benino plays eight minutes. um, But I, I don't think the Rangers were anticipating really having not just to put Benito in the lineup every night, but expect things from him on a nightly basis. I, I think, I just think he's getting overexposed. Like I, I feel bad because he does useful things. I don't dislike him as a human being, but he's kind of like the, just like the middle reliever you brought in that you <laughs> didn't want pitching late innings. And all of a sudden you had enough injuries where Jesus Christ, Adam Adovino is my closer. Like, it's, it's one of those with Nick Benino. Adam Adovino is a pretty good one because he used to be great and then now he's not sort of situation. And that's and he's slow. Yes, very slow. 
Uh, Othman, let's get to it real quick. Mm. Had, had a great game, I thought, in his debut uh, versus Chicago Blackhawks. Didn't score, had a couple chances. Then was promptly, uh, some people will call it benched. I would say the Rangers were trying to win the game versus Montreal. And the game flow, they were just double shifting Panarin. Obviously, Brandon Othman wasn't going to see the ice. Didn't think that was a problem. Our dear friend Larry Brooks, who uh, released his Baseball Hall of Fame ballot today with Chase Hudley on it. Yeah, Chase Hudley voted That's for That's fine. Him. He was on my ballot, too. Yep. Because, I listen, if I vote him in the Hall of Fame, I know exactly where he's going to be in July. <laughs> um, pretty much said, like, I, I haven't seen Larry do this in a long time, but it was he was questioning if Othman was hurt because of the not ice time he wasn't getting. Uh, we've heard about this, about Laviolette not playing younger players earlier. Uh, usually I'd be up in arms about this, and I just I just can't get bring myself to be mad at all. Well, Even a little. I, I think the reason you're not mad, Ryan, is because... Unlike with previous coaches, Brennan Othman isn't sitting for Colin Blackwell or even Jimmy VC. Brennan Othman isn't getting ice time because Laviolette sees the game flow and goes, you know what I need more of? Artemi Panarin and Alexi Lafreniere. Colin Blackwell really stopped Kapokako from being top six. <laughs> <laughs> he scored 20 goals. And by the way, the first goal of the season versus us. Bro, awesome. he celebrated like he won a fucking Stanley Cup. He, I have a problem. <laughs> I have a problem with players. I, I've always found it interesting. And I don't like where in soccer you don't celebrate if you score a goal against your former team. Because I'm more in line with what Colin Blackwell did than I am a soccer player netting one and just telling people to like, don't touch me. I'm sterile. But uh, the way Colin Blackwell reacted made it look like the Rangers did him dirty by moving he was on taken by Seattle. Yeah. It's like Colin Blackwell celebrated that goal. Like he's holding a grudge. And I'm like, buddy, what are you holding a grudge? They gave you an NHL career. Like what grudge are they? What grudge are you holding? They gave you top six minutes with Artemi Panarin. <laughs> The only the only thing I can compare it to is uh, when Paul Seawald was um this is a lot but when Seawald was a Mariner, uh, Paul Seawald stunk as a New York Met full force. The Mets moved on from him and he went to Seattle. He learned a new pitch. He became a National League champion reliever for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Eventually, good for him. I'm not angry at Paul Seawald. It's a fact of life that he stunk with the Mets. He revitalized his career somewhere else. That's great. But he was in Seattle, and Met fans have a long-spirited hatred of Jesse Winker, which is one of the weirdest things in my life, but that's fine. And then Paul Seawald comes in, strikes someone out in the eighth inning, and shushes Met fans. And Met fans got – only time in my life, Ryan, I've ever been in a building where 40,000 people were collectively confused. They weren't – we weren't angry. Like, we were disappointed a Met struck out. But when Seawald shushed the crowd, we're like, wait. Who are you? What what happened? What are you doing? What are, what's going on in your mind where you think you're the villain here? That's what Colin Blackwell did and I it happened and I was just like what hurt you? What happened? You are here in this league because the Rangers for some reason stapled you next to Artemi Panarin. That's why you're still playing hockey. You should be thankful, buddy. So, uh, former Rangers to score in the last week with Colin Blackwell. JT Miller tonight. Uh, does Buchnevich score on Thursday? Oh, yeah. That's a hard guarantee. Okay. And that, <laughs> that one that one's going to suck even more because it's going to just be insufferable. I know. I know. Uh, but uh, let's circle back to Othman before we wrap up. Yep, sure. I just – I'm not annoyed because the players getting more minutes over Othman are uh, Panarin and Lafreniere. And then when we did our bonus OT, when he got called up – 
I think you and I didn't realize that Adam Edstrom was hurt because you, we had the whole conversation being like, well, if, if they thought this was going to be a short-term call-up, they probably would have called up Edstrom. It would have been a lot easier. That would have been the line. It is filler. a short-term call-up and Edstrom is right. just hurt. Exactly. Because I don't, I think he's been fine. Like you said, I, I don't think there's anything you could have expected him to do more. He wasn't going to come in and all of a sudden be a stud. Well, it's great for lineup. Chicago because that whole team is an AHL team. Yeah, Without Bedard, they're all AHL caliber. Yeah, and I this is part of the problem where Othman in the bottom six, like it, it doesn't make sense. And I saw a couple of people being like, "Well, why can't he immediately get right wing time?" Because he hasn't played it in four months. But credit where credit is due, the Chicago game was out of hand, and you know what Laviolette did? He promoted Brendan Othman to the top line and played him on the right wing to give him some run. That's a, a move we had. Jared Gallant, never. Not even in a billion years. So, yeah, I want him to go back to Hartford, and hopefully when he goes back to Hartford, he's just playing right wing. And then he gets six weeks at right wing on a good line on a good Hartford team under his belt playing next to Artem Anisimov. <laughs> and you can bring Othman back up, and he could then be an option if you don't want to run Blake Wheeler in your top six anymore. But – to throw Othman to the Wolves like that, top line minutes on a ring, wing he hasn't played all year to get comfortable. What are you? What? what? That's bad. That's bad coaching and development. Yeah, at least in my my two cents. And he's not that kind of player. Uh, look, we hype him up a lot. We talk about you know how good he can be. We, we say all the highlights. You know, he's not a guaranteed top six guy. He's not one of those. Just stick him in and figure it out. That's not it. He's not Cutter Gauthier. <laughs> okay. I would do dirty things for Kutagochia now. I can't believe I, I called him Canadian. That was rough. You called him <laughs> you called him a lot of things before you got to American. <laughs> Not a hockey prospect guy. Used to be a baseball prospect guy. Those days are over. What? Is that because you just don't want to be hurt by the next teenager in Tampa Bay? <sighs> but no that comment. works on multiple levels now that no I've said it. No comment at this time. <laughs> <laughs> you're not you're not you're not jazzed about Jose Caballero? He's the number one prospect in baseball. Second, second prospect in baseball. I'm sorry. What? What are you? Are you smoking? Jackson Jackson Holiday is number one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Jose he, Caballero. Oh no no not Caballero. Junior is uh, is number two. Junior Caminero. Yeah. I was yes. like, I was like the slick no. fielding backup infielder for the Seattle Mariners. You think? No. Two war right? defensive. That's it. <laughs> Can't hit a ball. So. Uh, yeah. Fun times. Yeah, baseball's coming, buddy. Yeah, it should be a fun Ranger season as we continue to ride this roller coaster. This time last year, we were almost very, very close to firing Gerard Gallant, by the way. Is this even a roller coaster? This is like a no. lazy river. This is a, it's like we got in the tube and we're kind of like, oh, we hit a bump. Like last year, last year, there was a legitimately chance the Rangers were going to capitulate and not make the playoffs. The Rangers not making the playoffs this year is like a thought that can't even happen. <laughs> it's all- it's, it's nearly a mathematical impossible. impossibility. It's almost impossible. They really need to shit the fucking bed. And Artemi Panarin is just too damn good to make that happen. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not really worried about it. Hey, Chris Grider, by the way, scores a lot of goals. Just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, he didn't score tonight, though, though. Huh? No, but just in general, scores a lot of goals, you know? Scores um, a lot of goals in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's true. No assist, though. Wish he was Connor McDavid. Do you like um, that they call – this always bothers me. And you tell me, I, I am mm-hmm. crazy, but you confirm it. When someone has a lot of goals and not a lot of assists, they call it the Cy Young because it's like a win-loss record. I don't like it. Point of hockey is like to score goals. So (laughs) like that actually helps you win the game. I just don't like them calling like 
I, Brandon Peary way back when had like 22 goals and two assists. And, well, Bra- yeah, and Brandon Peary is was a garbage NHL player. Hey, but he, had a nice he had a shot. 20 goal season. Okay, one time. <laughs> yeah, well, what's he doing? He could play top six minutes for the Rangers right now. Wouldn't compare him to Chris Kreider, in my opinion. I but, just yes. I don't like calling it a Cy Young. That's the point of that. Turns out scoring goals is good. Uh, we have an amazing interview coming up with Scouting the Refs, one of our better ones we've ever done, I think. And uh, we'll just get to that right now. So transition. Hey, yo, this podcast is also brought to you by TickPick. That's right. They have the premier ticket sponsor of Blue Shirts Breakaway all New York Rangers season long. And if you want to go to a Ranger game, it's super simple using TickPick. Download the TickPick app. Get the best deal based on their score. Then from there, guess what? The price you see is the price you get. An even better deal, you can use the promo code BLUESHIRTS15. That's right, BLUESHIRTS15. Any user can use this code one time. Any order over $99 gets you $15 off on the TickPick app. Now, you can use that for anything. It doesn't have to be Ranger game. I want you to use it for a Ranger game, but you can go to concerts, whatever else you got going on. Check out TickPick. It's one of my favorite apps. I've been using it for such a long time. We've been friends with the guys at TickPick for over a decade, and they're actually going to hook us up with an away game special code soon. Because I'm hosting a meetup, that's right, in Philadelphia versus the Flyers for an afternoon game. TickPick will be hooking it up. But for right now, use Blue Shirts 15, get $15 off any ticket over $99. Well, any, once you spend $99, get $15 off. There it is. That's the deal. Blue Shirts 15. You got it. Back to the show. Hey, we're back with our first and only guest of the day. We have Josh from Scouting the Refs. Josh, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Always happy to talk stripes. Uh, we, well, good. You have a lot to talk <laughs> about then. Uh, we are a New York Rangers podcast, and I, I don't believe there are, there's this famous image of like the screw the Rangers button, um, where it's like the, the NHL has something out for the Rangers and people post that when the refs do something bad. Can you tell me that this is happening league wide and maybe ease my concerns about uh, conspiracy theories? Hey, I, you know, I don't want to point at any one fan base, but I think every fan base thinks that that button exists solely for their team. I, it, it happens with the Rangers, sure, but we hear it from Maple Leafs fans. We hear it from Minnesota Wild fans, Boston fans. Everybody feels that the refs are out to get them. And some, it's very specific refs. I mean, there are, there are fan bases who, uh, who target certain guys. You know, the Florida Panthers won't let go of Francois St. Laurent, things like that. So y- you definitely feel like they're out to get you. But they're not out to get the Rangers any more than anybody else. There's no Rangers bias. There's no original six bias. There are times when maybe a ruling feels like it doesn't go your way. And it feels like that button's there. But I assure you... Every other team feels the same way. And I'm not saying that's a good thing, but it's all across the board. Josh, one of the bigger picture topics Ryan and I have talked a lot about, uh, not just in regards to the Rangers, but in regards to all sports, is this feeling or this notion that refereeing, umpiring, any sport is at an all-time low. Now, I've been working on a theory that I think it's because we are overexposed to the inner workings of the game and we either know more than we used to or we're just being hammered over the head more about refereeing decisions than we used to. Do you have a theory working on your end if it's one or the other? Well, I think you're spot on, Greg. I think 
Yes. Uh, you know, it's always been a challenge all the way up. It's a challenge at lower levels. You know, if anybody's playing junior, minor, even amateur hockey, retaining refs and developing refs is always a challenge. Now, the NHL has expanded their pipeline. There's a certain percentage that are lifers that come up as officials, and there are a certain percentage that are high-level players that make the jump to officiating. So the NHL is trying to deepen that pool to give themselves as many good officials as possible. And the game's fast, so you need guys who can skate. So obviously, getting there to make the right call is the most important thing. So the, the league's looking at how can we get the best officials? How can we make sure in the right place to make the right call? And how can we make sure they're consistent? So that's what the NHL is focused on. But I think you nailed it. Everybody who's watching the game is focused on everything they do wrong. You go back 10, 15, 20 years, we didn't have the ability to get an, a replay right after the game to say, oh, we can see that, uh, you know, Artem Zub shouldn't have picked up that penalty for holding Connor McDavid's stick. I mean, my Twitter was blowing up with all the people who were sending screenshots and video clips mere seconds after. I mean, that the power play hadn't even started yet and people were already critiquing the call. So I think... That's probably what makes such a, a strong spotlight on officiating is the ability to really tear it apart immediately to put evidence out there that this was a bad call. And remember, the officials are making it in real time. Uh, you know, that particular play at Euler Sens, the official called it from across the ice. So he's 50, 60 feet away. But I think when we have a camera angle that shows us whether or not it should have been a penalty, we can look at it in slow motion. We can break it down from, from a bunch of different angles. We can compare it against other plays in the same game. It makes it a heck of a lot easier to critique the officials and to say, boy, this shouldn't have been a penalty or this was a bad call. So I, I think you're right that we have more camera angles, more replay, more tools available to give the officials a hard time. Now, when the officials have the same tools that were available to them in... 1950 for the most part except for goal reviews and the occasional major penalty review but when it comes to minor penalties it's still real-time vision only that you're making that call josh i should have opened with this question can you explain just a little bit of what scouting the refs is and what exactly you do sure yeah we're uh, scouting the refs has been around man, over 10 years already just keeping an eye on nhl officiating rules i think one of the things that we really try to do and it's it's not to pick on the refs but it's really try to close that gap because we don't get explanations from the league on why rulings were made a certain way or why a certain situation was a penalty or not. So that's one of the things that we've tried to do is to tap into folks knowledgeable that can fill in the blanks and say, you know, why wasn't this a penalty or why should this goal have counted or not counted? And we try to break down those kinds of situations and, and hopefully educate fans a little bit more on the rule book and how the rule is not only written by the NHL, but how it's applied and interpreted. Because some of that, some of the reading between the lines and some of the case studies of what the league does, it, it's not necessarily spelled out in the way those interpretations are made. So that's that's the goal is to try to help educate and, and fill in that gap because we're not privy to getting post-game media conferences with the officials to help explain and, and help everybody understand. Uh, just, to, just to ask bluntly, how is that going? <laughs> <laughs> well, there are uh, there are some moments that are much more exciting and interesting than others. I'll, I'll tell you that much. And this season has seemed to to give uh, quite a, a gift of incident after incident where we're breaking things down, or there's something that's come up. It, it seemingly multiple times a week where it it needs an explanation, whether it's a goaltender interference call or why was this not offside or what happened on this play. So it's uh, it's definitely keeping me busy. I can tell you that much. I'm going to ask the two questions I, I always want to ask anybody who's really interested in rules. What is a kick and what is goalie interference? 
a kick. Well, you guys know, I mean, look, the Rangers had a goal review go in their favor on a kicked in goal for probably the first time in league history there on that, that Chris Kreider goal. And it was unbelievable. I was there. Uh, it was, I, I said to everybody around me, that's a kick. I've seen this go against us a million times. And then they ruled it good goal. And I went, I don't know anything. So I was on the opposite side seeing that one and saying, oh, he's stopping. It's a stopping motion. He's got his skates out to stop the puck. You're allowed to deflect the puck off your skates. And I, I thought it was going to, I thought it should be a good goal. I shouldn't say I thought it was going to be because I was still flipping coins, but I thought it should be because he was in the process of stopping and the puck deflected off his skates. So that is not a distinct kicking motion. It's a it's a stopping motion. He's moving his skates for the purpose of stopping. Yes, he can intend to deflect it in. Yes, he can angle his skates in a way that would be beneficial to directing the puck into the net. And I think a lot of fans forget that. The rule is very specific on a distinct kicking motion. And they're usually looking for that backswing of the skate and then the forward extension like a soccer-style kick. In those situations, should be no goal. In ones where somebody's stopping... That's legal. If you turn your skate, if you position your skate to deflect the puck in, if you put yourself in a spot where your skates are going to move the puck or direct the puck into the net without necessarily propelling it, then that is not a kick. So there are plenty of goals off skates that are legal, but man, it's it's that application. And when you hear the call come down from the situation room, hoping that they're going to get it the same application, the same interpretation each time. And it, it doesn't always feel like they're ruling it the same way. So I was hoping that that one was because logically under the way the rule is written, it should have been a goal. And, and that one was. So I think there's there's that group that are good goals that are obvious. There are the group that are kicks that are obvious. They're the ones in the middle that are the gray area. And sometimes that stretches out <laughs> into the other categories where I'm certain it's not going to count and it does or, or vice versa. But I think the Rangers had one Earlier this year, I think it was a Will Cooley goal that I, I thought also should have counted, and that one did not. And then the goaltender interference of it all. Is this, at, at what point is it more, we don't know what a catch is in the NFL? <laughs> or, because to me, those are, those are the two rules when I think of officiating in all sports that I feel like we should know, but we absolutely will probably never know. I still don't know what's a catch in football, and I just never know what's going to be goalie interference yeah I, I have no idea you know I'll, I'll, I'll again go back to the fact that there's that that area in between right we know everybody can probably agree on a handful of situations you know okay that was absolutely goaltender interference the guy plows into the goalie he knocks him out of position we're not going to count that goal it's the ones when it's nuanced and we've seen and you know personally i've seen the rule and how it's interpreted over time to get that understanding of you know when they say was the contact in the goal crease well, it, the goal crease extends up vertically in the blue paint up to the height of the crossbar. So did the contact happen there? Was the goalie's glove outside the blue paint and his skates were in the blue paint? And it's all those things that that they're trying to figure out when they're making that goaltender interference call. You know, I can't I can't give too much of a hard time to the on ice officials. They're making the call based on what they see in real time. The situation room has an infinite amount of time to look at it. And sometimes it feels like they take an infinite amount of time to look at it when they're making those interpretations. So I think I lean more heavily on their rulings that I expect them to be consistent. But I think if they gave us better explanations, we'd understand a little bit better. You know, we're trying to pull out based on what they say. But when you hear that announcement, it's, you know, there was goaltender interference on the play. Well, tell us what it was. It was that the goaltender moved into position and the player backed into him. Or did the goaltender initiate contact? And it should be a, a good goal. And I think the lack of details on the explanation is what makes it feel like it's so vague and makes it feel like they're flipping a coin to see if it's a goal or no goal because every play is different. So we can't expect it to be 
ruled the same way. And it, it's hard to look at where the similarities are. But man, a better explanation, better understanding of the rules, I think, goes a long way to understanding whether or not it should count. And even with that, there are still those games that I'm watching going, well, I think that's a goal, but I, I'm, I'm not sure which way it's going to go. You know, that it's, it's those gray areas where you have a player making contact and you're trying to figure out, did the defending player push him into the goalie? And then if he did, did the goalie have a chance to reset or was there no contact at all? And just by being in the crease, it was enough to affect the goaltender's ability to play his position. It's, there are so many nuances to that rule that I understand it's hard to put every situation on paper, but I think if they explained a little bit better on their decisions, we'd all be a little bit smarter and understand when it should or shouldn't be goaltender interference. It's really funny you you explain it like that. And maybe it's not funny. Funny is maybe it's hard to say here. Uh, And the reason I say that is because since legalized gambling has become a huge part of our daily lives and has become uh, advertised us into, including on this podcast, a million ways, uh, there's been, I thought would be a transparency shift for the NHL in terms of not only injuries, but in, hey, here's exactly what has happened. That has not happened. And if gambling isn't going to do that, do you see anything doing that? You know, it's it's hard to say that 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 anything will because the league, I think, at this point, doesn't feel that they need to provide any more information. There's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes when it comes to clarifications and consistency for the officials. And I know the officiating department is putting out constant emails and updates. They have a casebook. They send videos for either an official specific calls or things that they see that they want to make sure they level set league wide that all the officials are applying things consistently. But I think. From a league standpoint, pushing out, there's not really that appetite for more information. And I wish I wish they would. And even not from a gambling standpoint, but just from a, a fan satisfaction standpoint, I, I don't think that refs doing post-game conferences is going to really help a whole lot. I, I think having them on the spot and getting grilled on, why was this a penalty? Why didn't you call that elbow? Isn't helping anybody. But I think having them explain a rule or having the officiating supervisor, which there are in attendance at every game, having one of them explain the rule on why was this goaltender interference or what was the rule that affected this play. I think that transparency is is where I think the league could potentially benefit. I don't know that they're interested in doing it, but I, I think that seems reasonable. We're not going to argue judgment calls, but we can really benefit from an explanation on what's the rule that applied here and why did the call go this way? One thing I asked you, Josh, before you popped on with us that I'd say we touch on is whether or not you feel like video review needs to be expanded it I I understand the slippery slope of it all where you start throwing around I know Ryan and I are big uh European soccer fans and you start hearing the word clear and obvious error and then you know clear and obvious error can be an interpretation from one ref to another ref blah 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 it it does feel like it's opening up Pandora's box but also if the goal is to call these games as correctly as possible and the technology exists to potentially aid a referee's decision do you think it's a good idea or bad idea to expand video replay in the nhl i don't know how you expand it without making it significantly more painful and uh, detrimental to the game I, I i like the addition for the major and match penalties those are significant penalties you you get a five minute power play out of it you have a guy potentially gone for the game So I like that they have the ability to review those majors and match penalties. Same thing with the double minor for high sticking. It's four minutes. It's a big deal. We have enough friendly fire incidents where it happens from a teammate's stick that I I think I can justify those. To get into minor penalty reviews or to have a coach given the ability to challenge a non-call to say there should have been a penalty on that play, 
I don't think we want to open the door there. I think that's it's going to get messy. It's it's not going to improve the game itself. So I have a hard time figuring out where in the game we can actually benefit from additional reviews. I mean, you mentioned technology, Greg, and I think to me, tech isn't in reviews, it's in puck tracking. And if we can get some of the puck tracking that the league has to know definitively when was the exact moment that the puck crossed the blue line? And then can we use either cameras or AI or anything else to determine whether or not that should be offsides? And then can we implement that electronically so that we don't have to have line of sight? We don't have to have individuals doing it. We can do a a tech-based solution to determine if it's offside. We can do the same thing for pucks over glass. And and most importantly, and the, the one that gets me the most is can we figure out exactly when the puck went in the net? Because we're using cameras, we're doing video reviews to try to determine if the puck went in. Man, if the puck could just tell us it was completely across the the red line there, we wouldn't have to spend so much time doing reviews. We could cut back on the number of reviews because we would know absolute certainty whether or not the puck crossed the line. Now, if the referee intended to blow the play dead or the whistle, sure, we still have some judgment there, but at least we could know when the puck went in. So... I'm not a big fan of adding more reviews. I don't see where they fit in without making a mess of things. But I, I really think that there are some technological opportunities. You know, I, I, I'm great with player speed and all the data that the NHL is generating. But man, could we use tracking to actually make the game better on the ice? That's that should be the goal. I legitimately don't know how we don't have goal line technology <laughs> like that. That one to me, that one feels the easiest. Where we are, like you said, we are able to track all these things in the world. I know the Rangers, I can think of two instances this year where I think the puck was in and I, it, it was called one thing on the ice and it gets overturned. I just, this shouldn't be this hard where we should have goal line technology. We're, we're advanced as a society to have this. It's such a fundamental piece of hockey. I mean, did the puck go in the net? I don't know how, you know, all resources aren't focused on solving that from a tech standpoint, because it does seem like the most obvious solution. And of course, They've had issues. They've tested chips and pucks before. Some players weren't happy with the way the pucks felt. Right now, the solution that they use has infrared signals that come out, which I think when they're covered, when the puck's covered by a goaltender's pad or or things are obscure, they might not have 100% certainty on the puck's position. But that's where the resources should be. A goal being scored, a puck crossing the line, that is so fundamental to hockey that to me, that's the biggest tech opportunity that exists. It's a layup. It's a total layup. We uh, watch a lot of other sports because we're real nerds. And one of the sports we watch that are for nerds is baseball. And I would say that Greg and I know a a good amount of umpires, mostly because they are bad umpires. That being said, I don't know a lot of NHL refs, and that might be a good thing. Is there someone that refs a game that when they are, you get tagged a lot? This I'm just going to, before you answer, Josh, add on to Ryan, because one of my questions for you was going to be, is Wes McCauley good for hockey? Wes McCauley is a very polarizing figure for hockey anymore. I think he's good for hockey. I think you want to have fun things going on. And I mean, game aside, he's there's a bit of showmanship there. There's a bit of fun, a little bit of personality. I do miss some of the older games when you had officials with personality. You had the names on the back and you knew what you were getting when you had like a, a Terry Gregson game or a Kerry Fraser game or, or Mick Magoo or, or you know the, the guys who had a little more character and and for better or worse some guys called it tighter some guys called it looser but there was a lot of personality to the game so i like that west mccauley brings that i i think we've seen some of the other officials take on a, a little more 
mic skills, if you will, where they're announcing things or just putting it out there, having a little fun with it. Garrett Rank earlier this year calling penalties to everybody on the ice and things like that. So I think it's good because it shows that they're humans. It shows that there's some personality there. So I think that's good. From a, a visibility standpoint, sure, Wes McCauley gets a ton of attention. I, Kelly Sutherland, some people love him or hate him, one of the league's top officials. So I, I think he's pretty good. But you, you definitely have the ones out there where we see, oh, no, it's Chris Lee again. Or, oh, no, it's uh, it's St. Laurent. He's working this game. There there are, for whatever reason, some specific fan bases in particular that have this perception that this ref is always out to get their team. So uh, there are some that, that come back up, but it, it seems pretty spread out. Uh, it depends on where your allegiances lie and, and how your most recent games went with that individual. Is there a guy Ryan and I should be more aware with the Rangers where it's like, oh, no, I'm about to get screwed? Like, can you think, can you think of a guy, Ranger fans? I, I consider myself a pretty knowledgeable hockey guy. And frankly, Kelly Sutherland and Wes McCall are the only two guys. If you put a gun to my head, I'd be able to name. So can you think of guys that historically speaking, and you, one of the great things you do that uh, I definitely use and definitely check out every now and then when the Rangers are playing is you post referee win loss records when they are refing certain teams. But I just, is there a Chris Paul-like referee out there that should haunt my dreams? I don't think I, I recall any for the Rangers in, in recent history. I think the the biggest thing that the Rangers have going from a ref standpoint is really benefiting from the guys who tend to call more penalties. They've had a, a pretty solid go on special teams. Obviously, they benefit from having more power plays in the game and their penalty kill's been strong. So anybody who's calling more penalties is working out in the Rangers favor you get a guy like Wes McCauley who tends to be on the lower end of penalty calls he'll he'll send a lot of situations where both guys go to the box or or he'll call it a little bit less there those guys who don't create as many power plays I think that does not necessarily work into the Rangers favor Josh has there been a call particularly that stands out as like the call of the year do you do a top five worst calls at the end of the year how does this work Uh, we have not done a, a worst calls of the year. That's that's such a rough one, man. I, I really don't want to throw these guys under the bus, especially situationally. You know, you're looking at the gameplay in real time and you know what's happening on the ice. There are definitely situations that are missed. I, I laugh whenever people bring up worst calls or video review, especially when it comes to offside. They always bring up that Matt Duchesne offside from years ago of, well, you know, that's the whole reason that we have the offside review. That was such a bad call. How did the linesman not realize he was offside? And I always feel obligated to explain that the linesman knew he was offside, but he was offside and the linesman, the puck actually deflected back into the zone. So the linesman thought it was a pass back into the defensive zone, which would have negated the offside. So even though he was offside, it wasn't for the reason everybody thinks. And it wasn't that a linesman made a bad call on Duchesne relative to the blue line. It was a a bad call because the puck didn't deflect as he thought that it did when there were a bunch of players standing in the neutral zone. So because of situations like that, it's it's so hard. You don't want to throw a guy under the bus for not making the call that everybody thinks he blew it when it really wasn't that bad. But I, I think to me that the hardest ones when it comes to those calls are the ones I see coming down from the situation room on, look, I'll give the refs all the credit in the world. It's a fast game. They're making these calls real time. Sometimes you're going to see the play and, and you think you, you saw it right and a different angle shows a different perspective. I get that. You know, we've saw we've seen them in the playoffs too, where you have a high stick and it didn't go the way you thought it did or the way the ref thought it did. But to me, the situation room ones are the hardest because again, they do have the benefit of video review and, and theirs are the ones that are probably 
the most frustrating. You know, you take away that real-time snap decision judgment part of it. You give them a bunch of guys sitting in a room with multiple angles and five, 10 minutes to look at it. When it feels like they get it wrong, those are the ones that hurt the most. Josh, I'm going to say this bluntly, uh, and I want you to know that you're in a safe space. <laughs> and if the answer is the Pittsburgh Penguins, let that be the answer. Who is the whiniest fan base that you've encountered? Oh, wow. Um, there there are some tough ones out there. It It's probably not the Penguins. I, I think based on last year's postseason, I think Leaf fans probably make the most noise and have the greatest concern about officiating, including which guys are officiating, uh, as well as the number of, oh, no, this guy again for probably 10 different officials. So <laughs> I think when it when it comes to Leaf fans, they they probably are the most concerned about the guys that are working the games. We're in the top five, right? I mean, that's probably. probably yeah, uh, yeah, you definitely in the top five. Okay. Sorry, might be top so, three. No, sorry okay. guys, but uh, no, please. No, 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 no. We don't worry. And, about and you, you know what? I, yeah. I, I, I have to say it's, it's so hard when you see a call and it's happened for the Leafs. It's happened for a bunch of teams. When you see a call that you really can't defend it and they're like, oh, no, this is what happened. And you look at it and go, well, yeah, I, I would be frustrated, too, if I were in your position. I get why the call was made. I, I can see what the officials saw at that point. So I understand where they're coming from. But man, if I was a fan of this team, I'd be mad at this guy too. Oh God. <laughs> uh, I, I, sometimes our, I know our fan base is a lot, but it, it there has been just so many times this year, Josh, where we've been absolutely <laughs> baffled. <laughs> like just been like, how is this even possible that these are, these are the calls being made? Not even against us. I know this happens elsewhere. I, look, all the NHL games are on at the same time. You either watch at 10 on Eastern or you watch at seven there. Otherwise you're not watching hockey. So the most you can watch two hockey games a night. And if you're watching all the highlights, you don't have a day job. So like when I watch the Rangers, which is the team I watch the most, 82 games a year, some of these calls, I'm just like, wow, my, my mind is blowing. I try to be objective as possible, but I just, I even have a whole thread where I just say retweet if you hate the refs. And it's been about three years long now. Uh, and it's, I'm sorry, I'm just really ranting at you hey, that's, getting my frustrations out. That's all right. You know, I, and I encourage, like, I, I love getting tagged in, in tweets for it, especially when folks have clips of it to say, you know, what, what happened on this play? And there are plenty of them where I can say, oh, you know, I, I can see what happened. This, you know, for example, this wasn't a hand pass because this was the situation and this is why it wasn't, or this is why that should have been a legal goal. But there are absolutely a number where you have to chalk it up to the situation of the game, the officials making the call in real time. And you can say, well, maybe I, I'm having a harder time with this one. But it also depends on the game because we see guys that call a tighter game and you'll see more hooks called. And then maybe the next game, the same play doesn't get a penalty. The refs want to be consistent and the league wants them to be consistent. But to me, the most frustrating aspect of them is when you see it in the same game and it feels like you're getting called for every hook and the other team is getting away with murder. And and those are the situations that are tough to defend uh, because you really can't say, well, why was this called and this one wasn't called? Sometimes you don't know because sometimes it doesn't look like that should have been a penalty or it looks like they missed one over here. Josh, I will say I'm happy you brought that up because I think one of the things that has happened this year that's left me more frustrated than normal, the worst games where I feel like the refs have impacted the outcome is when it's clear they're simply trying to manage the game and the game gets away from them. Have you noticed that it's happening more where refs are like, all right, this one's getting a little bit chippier than we'd like, or it's a little bit more out of hand. Maybe we should try to do this, but it, I don't know if it's happening more or less. It just feels like when they make the decision to do this, 
it seems to not go as they have planned more often. Yeah, I can say that there are definitely veteran guys out there who I feel manage the game. And I don't want to use game management as a pejorative. I think there there is a skill to managing the game in making sure things don't get out of hand or making sure that you're, you're feeling what the temperature is on the ice. Things are starting to get a little bit chippy and, and maybe you're warning guys. Uh, if you ever get to listen to any of the Kelly Sutherland games mic'd up or if he's working a Ranger game, just listen closely. You, can, you can't miss his voice on the broadcast. But he's talking nonstop the entire game and he's letting guys know, here's where the line is. Here's where we're going to call a penalty. And if there's a stoppage in play, he'll tell them, you know, watch the hook. Next guy who does it is getting called. And as fans, we don't always hear this discussion on the ice, but the players are getting warned and and they're knowing that the next time that this play happens, he's going to send one guy to the box. You'll get a guy like Wes McCauley who will do a similar approach when it's conversational, but he'll, he's more likely to take two guys and say, you know, with the roughing or the nonsense, I'm going to send two guys off next time. I'm only taking one. So if you want to put your team shorthanded, you keep doing what you're doing there. And you see management like that, which is what you want to have happen. Uh, things start to spiral a little bit out of control. And then you, you see the times when everybody on the ice is getting a penalty or Garrett ranks tossing both benches entirely out of the game. But I think some fans get frustrated with game management, meaning that officials are more, uh, they have a greater tendency to call penalties against the team that just got a power play. Or, you know, we see three penalties to the Islanders and of course the Rangers are going to get the next penalty and we can see it coming. And, and often it works out that way. And, and sometimes whether it's subconscious bias, whether it's just the, the what's going on with the gameplay, I think that's the type of game management that, that fans often call out or that we hear from them is, you know, they're managing it because they want the penalties to be equal. They want each team to take two penalties. And, and that, that doesn't go on at a conscious level. It's, there's no mandate to get it 50-50. It often works out that way. And of course, you know, you're naturally looking to, to see what's going on on the ice and who's committing the most egregious infractions. But I, I think we do see a lot of games where it works out, where the penalties are 2-2 two to two or 3-3. Three to three, And I have nothing wrong with uh, five penalties to one team and none to the other if that's the way the infractions went. So when people say game management, I'm, they're often referring to the latter. But I think to your earlier point, managing the game does mean handing out more penalties or handing them out one-sided if uh, if the teams aren't staying in line. Josh, this is the only thing I think I disagree with you about. I think you've been articulate and very intelligent, much more intelligent than I'll ever be. Uh, are you saying makeup calls are not a thing? Uh, I'm saying referees do not intentionally set out to make makeup calls. I know that there are times, and, and having talked to some of the guys out there, They'll, they'll, they're not intending to go do it. But I, I think sometimes when you see you know, what's going on or how the game's going, I, I think whether it's human nature or whether it's just a situational thing, it, it, the perception that, well, that call was to make up for this one absolutely exists out there. But I don't think anyone is setting out to say, boy, I made a bad call earlier. I looked at that call at intermission and now the next penalty has to go to the other team because I need to make up for, for that poor call. The officials aren't discussing that among themselves. They're not taking that approach when they're in the locker room in between periods. So it, it, if it's happening, it's not a conscious thing. It's not something that someone is setting out to do to say, you know what, I, I need to call the next penalty on this specific team because of the last penalty call I made or my partner made. I believe everything you said except that. But thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we asked this question once to Tim Peel. It went a certain way. Uh, we will ask you the same oh, question. Boy. Do you think it's good or bad? You know what? Forget it. I'll start point blank. Games in the playoffs are called differently, yes or no? They are. 
Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's a bad thing. Okay. I would rather games be called the same way from the first period of game one to the, the third period or overtime of game seven. I think calling it differently and, and you know, folks say penalties are down in the postseason. They're, they usually go down, but then the minutes go up because we see so many matching minors. We see so many penalties in garbage time. So it, it actually goes up in the first two rounds and then it starts to drop off after that. I, I want it to be called consistently. It's funny because we see fewer penalties called, but we have infinite overtime. And what happens when you get into playoff overtime? You're playing, and the only thing you're getting called for is a puck over glass. So it makes that such a big deal because we're so afraid to call any other penalties. And I, I think some officials take the stance of, well, as long as it's balanced, as long as we're consistent on both sides, I'm not going to call the penalty. It has to be egregious. It has to be a change of possession. It has to be a dangerous or an injury. Otherwise, I'm not blowing the whistle. If we're good with that in overtime in the playoffs, we should be good with the same standard all season long. And if we're not good with that standard all season long, then we shouldn't change it for the playoffs. So I think it is called differently. I think everybody kind of has that anticipation. Oh, they're going to be tighter games. There's going to be fewer penalties. But I don't see why it should be. Josh, I have no further questions at this time, Your Honor. Greg, do you have anything? (laughs) Uh, I I guess it would be impossible for us to have a scout a ref insider like you without talking about the Jacob Truba of it all hitting is different in hockey these days Ryan and I have made our opinion perfectly clear not just here on this podcast but on every social media account that we possibly have and in general is it harder to call a game with players like Jacob Truba in them just because the nature of hits in hockey has changed so much. Well, I, I'm not sure what your take is, but I'll start by saying that I think Jacob Truba is often wrongfully persecuted for hitting. Uh, his hits are often more legal than I think opposing fans would like to admit that they are. I know he's a hard hitter. He hits high, but often on the, the legal side of things, the officials absolutely are more aware when he's on the ice. So for better or worse, they're going to know when there's a guy coming in and and. and the officials have pregame meetings, right? They get together. Each game is officiated by a different quartet, so you're not working with the same crew night after night. But these guys are all getting together for a pregame meeting. They're scouting which players are on the ice, what happened last time out, what tendencies do we need to look for. And when it comes to the Rangers, they're absolutely watching for, A, who's going to go after their star players. Let's make sure we're keeping an eye on a guy like Panarin. Uh, Let's make sure we're protecting Shesterkin in the goal crease. And we need to keep an eye on Truba when it comes to hitting. So he's absolutely on the officials' radar, which tends to make him more likely to pick up a penalty if he does run a foul of the rule book or if he hits high. So I, I will say there's little chance that they're missing any of his hits simply because they know he's on the ice and they know that he has a tendency to deliver hard body checks. So I, it's, it's critical on him. And I think he's done a pretty good job of it to deliver those hits legally because all eyes from an officiating standpoint will absolutely be on him when he's out there. Josh, cannot thank you enough. Appreciate you taking the time today. And it's uh, extremely informative and helps my bias that will still be there. Um, anything you'd like to plug other than obviously your Twitter and everything else? Like no, that? just visit scoutingtherefs.com. Visit Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. And uh, feel free, send us those referee or officiating questions or rule questions because we're, we're active on there and always looking to try to clarify. I will be sending an angry mob your way. So <laughs> <laughs> my apologies. Thank you, Josh. Hey, we're back. Dude, Josh knows like shit. I'm more sympathetic to refs now, I think. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, look, Josh is a very, very smart, intelligent person. Clearly, I told him that. Uh, But 
the no makeup call thing is complete bullshit. So and here's, I'll, I'll here's my, do we, it, I, I hate to do this because it's going to boost a lot of egos. Are people named Josh just smarter? This is, yeah, the twins. The yeah, twins, is, we have a twin. Know, we have Josh Calfin. We have Josh from Scouting the Refs. Yeah, yeah we, we got to, you know what? We're going to find it. Let's find a stupid Josh. Josh Allen? Man. <laughs> He's a fuck. Oh, right. There's an idiot. You're right. <laughs> Good call. Good call. Hey, he won the game. All right. Let's do some five-star questions. Uh, we'll do them over the next 20 minutes. And if you want to leave one of them for the show, you can go to our Discord by signing up to our Patreon. It's very easy. Mm. This is from Kristen. I don't. Did Kristen's ever left a question before? Thank you, Kristen. What game was worse, the Canes game or the Preds game? Uh, this is for you, since I think both games very equally are things that I will forget by the end of the year. I actually think the Preds game was worse than the Canes game. I think uh, I know it's not so stupid, and the Canes are a division rival, but the Rangers were coming off the New Year's. They were partying. The Preds game was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. <laughs> it was the fourth game of the year. It was I'm, terrible. I'm only going to remember the Predators game because of your game of the year. Because it was of your. It was both your reaction to the Predators game and the fact that I was lost just trying to get home. <laughs> We have so many weird things that happen on this podcast. Uh, look, all right. So this is for people that haven't listened to the BSBOT last week. Uh, a lot of you are not patron subscribers, and I understand. I get that. Uh, Greg, I unfortunately, asked me to name as many presidents as I could know <laughs> on the podcast. And I have to tell you, the answer was 14, and I missed JFK and Bill Clinton. Mm. From there, I have been getting so many messages, so many asking me to name a certain amount of things. For example, Just Gibsy. Uh, no, this wasn't it. It was uh, David. Over under on Ryan being able to name half the amendments in the Constitution. Now, I will. Say, that one's tough. I don't know. I plead the fifth. Okay, that's one. <laughs> that's all. I pleaded the fifth. Okay. Do you know the Second Amendment? <laughs> I hope you do. Uh, Bear arms. Yeah. Do you know the First Amendment? My speech, my friend. Uh huh. That's you... about as far as I'll think. <laughs> um, I think the Fourteenth Amendment is an important one. You should probably know that one. Probably should. I'm assuming that's uh, probably the right to own somebody. Yeah, yeah. You really danced around what uh, what verbiage you should use in describing that amendment. I applaud you for that. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, it's tough. You know, I know there are Ten Commandments. Does that count? I don't know <laughs> this show. Uh, this is from Jets Rangers. As great as I feel about this season, if I'm going to be negative, I find it maddeningly frustrating when it comes to clearing the puck out from their own end, particularly 5v5. It is really an issue. I also just wanted to hear Ryan attempt to pronounce maddeningly frustrating without passing out. I did an okay job. Thanks, Jets Rangers. Uh, I think they've actually been better at that this year than last year. Because Gustafson is, has the ability to actually clear the puck. Jones, when he does play, does that as well. Schneider's gotten better at it, and so has Keandre Miller. Whereas last year, they were struggling in a big way to do that. Uh, I don't think it's as bad as... as uh, I think it, this might come from the, the bad turnover and the Eeyore goal is where this question might have come from. Yeah, but I, I, I... It is a lot better than it was last year. You are correct. Uh, I don't... You know, it, it's the NHL. It's going to be hard to clear pucks out of your own zone regardless of who your opponent is. So, yeah, I I agree with you. I, I'll leave it at that. Cool. This from Just Gypsy. What are the odds of the Rangers, and not the Wolfpack, play a game where, with both Anisimov and Brennan Othman in the same lineup? Slim. Uh, like, I, like less than a percentage. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know how long Anisimov is actually going to stick with Hartford. I Brennan Othman also probably going back to Hartford after Kapokako was activated. It would make the most sense. 
We'll talk about Brendan Othman. Or rather, we did talk about Brendan Othman at the opening of the show. You would hope. Uh, yep, I would. This is uh, from Paneranoid Android. How many Supreme Court justices, current and former, can Ryan name? <laughs> this, I'd say fewer than 10. I, uh, I don't think you're getting there. I'm, I'm not doing this right now. I don't. <laughs> Do you know how many Supreme Court justices are currently serving? Is it eight? No. Damn, is it 10? No. Oh, is it 12? No. Wow. It's an odd number because you got it. Oh, Come it's on, nine. Buddy. There I'm you stupid. go. I'm stupid. Yes. Yeah. Why would you have eight? So every decision is just four, four. <laughs> I, for some reason, I thought it was eight. That's so silly. Uh, this is from David. Again, was the era of good feelings named aptly? Who named it the era of good feelings? It's the good times. It's not the era of good feelings. Mm. It's the era of good feelings. If we win a cup. It's still the good times. It's, it's like this. This is just like it, it's the sea of tranquility. That doesn't mean the sea itself is tranquil. Correct. Uh, this is from Cole. I really think people are trying to get us in trouble. <laughs> if you could declare war on one state, which would it be and why? Pennsylvania. Florida. Okay. Uh, this is from AZK. <laughs> Since- <laughs> I, I, I think I, I get you. You're, you took a more serious approach to it where like Florida is probably the thing that is wrong with America at this point in time. Chase but- Utley played in Pennsylvania. Everybody knows what you want to do. Yeah, and also <laughs> fuck the penguins. Like you forgot the penguins part of it too. You know, but everyone knew the answer. It wasn't it's not unless it's their first episode. Like, what's this Greg guy about? Um, <laughs> that'd be that'd be fun if th- this is how they discover that I am who I am. Yeah, this is from ATK. Ever since Sam did the Benino goal, the Benino, Benino, Benino. Are we ever going to get a la 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 Frenier goal from him? I don't think so. No, the Benino goal. It was it, a replica. It, yeah, it's a yeah. It, it's an homage. Yeah, I an believe homage. is the proper t- terminology. Yeah. Uh, also, ever since that Benino goal, you know who stunk? Benino. Yeah, which I'm sure we also talked about in the open. I'm positive. I'm positive, positive. as well. Uh, this is for Brettley. If the Rangers lose another center for a few games, who gets the call strip? Edstrom or Anisimov? Okay, well, we already answered that, but... Well, uh, well, right now it's Anisimov because Edstrom is very injured. That's correct. So there's the answer. Uh, maybe this might have been asked before he was injured. Could be. Uh, this is from Hip Hip. Jorge 89, close to the halfway mark of the season. What is the biggest surprise so far? NHL or NYR? Uh, Jonathan Quick I, has to be that. Yeah. Has to, so, for the Rangers, it's Jonathan Quick. For the league, it's probably the Vancouver Canucks. I don't know. Have you seen what the Winnipeg Jets have been up to? Oh, God. We thought they were going to be folding as a franchise, and they're on pace uh, for 119 mean, points. Hold on. What do you mean, we? Uh, you and I were like, they should trade their goalie, and then they signed him for eight years, and we were surprised. Sure. Sure. Yes, that is correct. Uh, Year of Francis. Is there any world where Gabe Perot is on the playoff roster? There's a world. Uh, nope, I, I really don't see it happening. I don't think there's a world. Nikki Shev, have you guys ever thought of doing a listener call-in segment? A lot, by the way. Every once in a while, Greg would thrive in a Francesca role, interacting us idiot fans with their idiot takes. Greg does, on the Patreon, before the Patriot playoff games, sometimes do a talk with Greg situation where he does exactly this. Yeah, and I, I don't... When I'm talking to someone directly, I try not to call them an idiot. Though there Especially because they're times. our supporter? That's great. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Though, I don't know. There there are some people... I, I'm working on a list of like... You have a, like Chris Jericho? Like a list? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like how you went with Jericho and not any other kind of reference there, possibly. Uh, there's... <laughs> there, there's just a... A triorca of people in the game thread that if the Rangers lose any game, jump the shark. I don't I don't travel there. Like here be dragons sort of situation. I don't go. Yeah, I just want you guys to know that I see you, and just because you give me money every month doesn't mean I like what you're doing. 
Okay, just going to say for, that. This is for C-Duggies 12. No further comment at this time. C-Duggies 12, <laughs> what cartoon physics principle would make hockey better? Cartoon physics, so... Like, uh, I guess, like, running into a visible brick wall? Or, or like, like, I guess, uh, Ragdoll? Probably I Ragdoll. Think, I think it would be, since we are the team of Jacob Chuba, it would be really fun if he hit someone really hard and they burst into a million pieces. Would be cool if he also turned into a train, like, as he did it. That'd be sweet. <laughs> That'd be pretty good. Uh, Brian, what goalies off the top of your head are part of the Jimmy Howard Hall of absolutely owning the Rangers? And does the Montreal goalie join that list? Now 4-0-1 against the Rangers. You didn't want to say Montembeau? You, I was going to say his name. Montembeau. Uh, yeah, I mean, hell of a hell of a performance. Montembeau, fucking sick, dude. He's amazing. I, I, what else could you, like, it's, I, I don't blame the Rangers for that one. They nope. shouldn't have gone down 3 nothing at the same time. It's kind of a miracle they even got a point, all things considered. I, I'm so happy that Jimmy Howard's name lives on because my dude owned the Rangers. I I would say um, not Belarmov, but uh, well, because the, so like Ben Bishop is a guy that just strikes fear into me. Halak in terms, owned the Rangers for a long time. Dude. I know, but I feel like the whole point of the Jimmy Howard of it all is it has to be a guy that was pretty mid. But like Halak and Ben Bishop were good goalies. So the Rangers losing games to Halak and Ben Bishop, I could justify it that way. Right. Jimmy Howard was mid as hell and would be a Hall of Fame goaltender every time he played us. Yeah, Jimmy Jimmy Howard was prime Hashik anytime he saw the Rangers. And then he was Hashik and Patrick Waugh simultaneously if he saw MSG. So I it's tough. I really don't know. I nobody puts PTSD in my body quite like Jimmy Howard. So to me, I do think it's a room of one right now. He's still alone for now. For now. For now. This is from Michael Sandin, 816. Who is better at their respective job, Benoit Allaire or Gary Cohen? That's a tough one. That is uh, tough. This is like, you know, choosing your children situation. I thought about it when I saw this question a couple days ago, and I do think it's going to surprise people when I say Benoit Allaire. I think because, it's Allaire as well. Yeah, I've heard Gary Cohen accidentally call people the wrong name. Because that happens when you're doing baseball. Because he's human. I don't think Ben Wilder has ever made an error in his life. And if he's made one, I can't fucking think of it. Next question from Madame Fox 23. Oh my. First impressions about the new PWHL. Any underrated players you think I should look for? Also, who are you guys rooting for? I'm rooting for New York. I don't know the players that well. And I can I'm, tell you, it's I'm very, not rooting. very... I'm not oh, rooting for New York. Who are you rooting for? Well, because where do you, where do you think... When you say New York, where do you think they play? Don't they play in Jersey? They play in Bridgeport. Oh, Connecticut? <laughs> yeah. They play an hour and 15 minutes away from New York. Wow. that That's worse than the Jets and the Giants. I will say that the being able to stream the games on YouTube is amazing. Amazing. I sadly haven't been able to watch, but I, I'm one, they're doing, I still not a big three, two, one guy, but I still think it's better than what the NHL does. And I appreciate that the NWHL is utilizing that system in order to uh, determine their standings. But what I love the most is, uh, did you see the rule over the weekend where if you score on the penalty kill, it negates the penalty? I do kind of like that. I would I like, like, to, I, I'd like that. to at least try it uh, for a year. Yeah, I'm a big fan of any rule where it there's more strategy involved. And frankly, we're Ranger fans. It would greatly benefit the New York Rangers because I know, you know. Mika and Kreider. Mika and Kreider. That's a power kill unit, to use a phrase that Shayna coins and I think coined on our podcast. The power kill, I think, is an underrated aspect of penalty killing, and I think that rule would just greatly benefit the New York Rangers. Agreed. 
Final questions from Inferno272. Hope you're doing well, man. It's been a, been a bit. Uh, this is a simple question for the boys. Do you think you can win a Stanley Cup being a team that is almost completely reliant on power play to win games? Um, Very no. relevant to the inter- the interview we had today. I'm going to say no, but I also think the question is asked because it assumes the Rangers are only a team that scores on the power play, and I don't think that's the Rangers. I think, I think you can, but you need a very special goaltender. But then you're not just winning based off your power play. You're winning on a... Based off your goaltender. Yeah. That's correct. So yeah, you're not relying on your power play to win correct. games. You're, you're, you're essentially your saying the one great thing you have is a power play. So therefore, can you win with just a power play? I'd say no. And I'd say it's a good thing the New York Rangers are a team that isn't just a power play. And they're going to get better at the trade deadline as well. All right. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Kaka's coming back. Fun times. All right. This has been the episode. You can follow me at Orion Mead. You can follow Greg at Blue Shirts Break. We'll be back uh, later this week. I guess late night Thursday. Who knows? We'll stay tuned. We'll, we'll, we'll keep you posted on BSBOT. Love you guys. Hey, yo, it's the end of the show, so I want to thank our NHL Insider Club members. As always, I will name some of them, and by not some of them, I mean all of them, and mispronounce most of them of their names. Adam Cassie, Adam Cohen, Adam Cartula, Adam Keech, Alex Flynn, Alex Gardner, Amber Collinsberger, Andrew Rohner, Anthony Gray, Anthony Montero, Anthony Tanagretta. You know, I could just record this once, and then do it once a month, and put it at the end of every show, but yet, every week I do this to myself. Ari Zanger, Ben Waters, Ben Weber, Bill Olsen, Bill Rattel, Brandon Lacko's Lackos, yes. Brendan Magnum, Brett Granger, Brett McGinnis, Brian Doyle, Brian Doherty, Brian Gallagher, Brian Marilyn, Brian Farrell, Cassidy, Cassidy Rollman, Cizé, Chris Finelli, Chris Haru, CJ Stellwagen, Connor Pandemic, Daniel Delaney, Daniel Dezen, David Narita, David Siegel, DJ Bananjaz, Dylan Brettschneider, Eric Stagg, Garrett Reynas, Greg, Greg Gretzky McFly. I don't know why you called you Greg Gretzky McFly. Gretzky McFly. There we go. Harrison Hasko, Hell of Vanilla, Hip of 89, Jack Bagley, Jack Rogan, Jake Keith, James Masker, Jerrion Marquez, Jason Stumer, Jason Zabraski, J- Jimmy Mack, John Hardesty, John Shea, Johnny Tedcock, Jordan, Josh Kistebaum, Josh White, Chris from Florida, Chris Kreider, Dyer, Christoph Berg, Lee Plummer, Leszek Gronowski, Lou Giordano, Matthew Goodwin, Matthew Kahn, Meeple Decak, Michael Koenig, Mike, Mike Bucklaw, Mike Ma- Mancuzu, Mike Pasternak, Nate Hanafy, Neil Grover, Palms Perez, Nicholas DiNicola, Other Slash, Pascal Perrier, Paul J. Smith, Pavel Kodrev, Phoenix Edition, Paul J. PJ Sisparo, Randy Tesser, Ryan Walsh Miracle, yes, yes, yes. Swine Garth Drop, BK, Tommy Seclary, Tommy Tedeschi, Tommy O'Neill, Tony Gregory, Tori from Manhattan, the original supporter, Vinny Bracco, Will Spector, and Winston, the Golden Retriever. A little turbulence in Ranger Town. Little turbulence. Things are going to be okay. Everyone goes through these stretches, but... Look, I think they could have won that game tonight. I think they could have. I really do. I, I'm, I'm trying to be the over. There's, there are things wrong, and there are things that need to be addressed. I am telling you, not having top six caliber players like Hedl and Kako in the lineup is hurting this team. You can you can do a lot, uh, but when the defense starts to really struggle like that at five v five, it is tough. That being said, I, I really they had they had a big chance. They had a couple big chances. Uh, Want to thank Scott of the refs again. Great guest. Unbelievable guest. One of our better interviews. And uh, it's a little bit late right now, so usually I do a longer monologue, but I'm not going to. I hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll be back Thursday night late with BSBOT recording directly after. Love you guys, and see you there.